where, where destinies, where destinies are issued out, is a realm that is not governed by time and space. There's no local government there. There's no human tribe there. A spirit and life, they speak there. It's on earth that we are separated. And so when you start fulfilling destiny, you will enter your tribe. You will find your tribe. And then you will understand your reading from Zion. But we will talk about some of those deeper matters tomorrow. Let's begin. In Ezekiel 22 verse 30, he said, the Lord was speaking and he said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. He said, but I found none. For a whole land, God found no man. That is how barren territories are. The fruitfulness of a territory is not the agriculture. The fruitfulness of the territory are not natural resources. The fruitfulness of the territory is the availability of men that God can use for his agenda. And so when God enters a territory and he does not find a man, even if that territory is rich in agriculture and rich in natural resources, as far as heaven is concerned, that territory is barren. And so see what God said. Because he found no man, in verse 31 he said, Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them, and I consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. So a whole territory was destroyed because no man was found. Maybe there were diamonds there. Maybe there was gold there. Maybe the agricultural productivity of that land was very high, but there was no man. And if God's agenda cannot be expressed, the territory is a desolate territory. And so what brings value to a territory is, first of all, the availability of men. And when we talk about men, we are not talking about people that breathe oxygen. We are talking about people that can connect to the frequency of heaven and find out what God is doing in the now. Because at all times, God is doing something. Can you imagine that God wanted to destroy the earth and waited for 100 years because he wanted Noah to be saved? Noah took 100 years to build the ark and God waited. In those 100 years, they gave birth to men. Marriages took place. Agricultural things were happening. But as far as heaven was concerned, the earth was already doomed. The moment Noah finished and entered the ark with animals that God wanted to carry to the next dispensation, the earth was destroyed. So what makes a generation relevant is not the population. It's the agenda of God. The degree to which they can fulfill the agenda of God is what makes that generation relevant. And so for every generation, God has an agenda. And so whether we will be relevant or not is to the degree that we align with God's agenda. And so the reason God will not stop looking for a man is because people must find his agenda for every dispensation and for every generation. And unfortunately, very few find God's agenda. Very few find God's agenda. A conference like this is put together because a desperate people are crying. And they are saying, Lord, whatever it takes for me to be your man, I will be that person. Let me read another scripture to show you the severity of this matter. In Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1, 
here was a, a man who had the title of a national prophet. Among men, they were applauding him. And suddenly, he was brought into the courts of heaven. Because God wanted to reveal certain things to him. The first thing God wanted to show him is the excellency and the splendor, the authority and the power that exists where the government of God is domiciled. And so he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So he woke up to the fact that there were kings on earth, but there is an eternal king in heaven. The ones on earth die, but the one on the throne in heaven never dies. So God began to show him, first of all, how immortality controls the matters that operate among mortal men. So why your own kings die and new kings are born? He said, there is another throne that is eternal. I saw the throne of God. And he said it was high and lifted up. And he said his train filled the temple. He said, above it, he now began to see the excellency of God. And the first way God displayed his excellency was to show him some of the creatures that have the right to walk around him. Because if you don't know what it takes to stand in God's presence, when God calls you, you will take it for granted. Because he was on earth calling himself a prophet. Because he thinks serving God is about title. He now saw seraphims. And he was dazzled by the splendor, the mystery, and the power that these creatures com commanded. He said they had six wings. With two of them, they covered their feet. With two of them, they covered their faces. And with two of them, they did fly. And he said they were covered with eyes. He spoke of brilliance, intelligence. A form of superlative kind of knowledgeability that these creatures that walk with God commanded. And above that, he said these creatures were burning like fire. There is a credential for a creature that will walk around this throne. It's not a place you can just stroll in and stroll out. Because he didn't know what it meant to be a prophet. And that's why from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 6, he, he had not entered his calling. Because his calling was to be a messianic prophet. It was through his voice that a door would be created for Christ to come. He was operating in word of knowledge, talking to nations. But he had not even entered his office because there are credentials. And so when he saw these seraphims, God did not speak. In fact, throughout that vision, God never spoke to him. It was the seraphims that looked at him and said, how did you come here? The people who come here have credentials. You don't even have the first. Before you can even look at, stand and look around, you must be purged. So while God was not talking, the beings that were in God's presence, you know, it takes rank to stand with God. Oh. <laughs> you know, when Gabriel met Zacharias, he gave him a word and he doubted him. You say, ah, don't you know me? I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. You don't doubt us. If you doubt me, it's an error. But because you have undermined the integrity of my utterance, they say you'll be dumb. So you will not talk again until the day this thing happens. So if it takes 50 years, they will be dumb. Now, God did not tell him to punish Zacharias. He was speaking from his authority level. <laughs> I am Gabriel. I am. I am Gabriel. People, if God calls you into his service, it's a ranking in Zion. It's a ranking. So serving God is a privilege. 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence. I bring you this glad tidings. And you doubt, you'll be done. And the man thought it was a joke. He came out, he tried to talk. He now discovered even your vocal cord is not the product of biology. There are powers, powers, powers that are at work. You think you are working because you are strong. When, when grace is withdrawn, you will discover your bone is too heavy for, for you to carry it. He couldn't talk, and he didn't talk until the day it happened. And so when he saw the seraphims, please sit down. They took the coal from the midst of the fire and touched his tongue and said, Now your iniquity is bought. God didn't talk. Oh. God didn't forgive him. They knew the technology of washing sins away in heaven by fire. Your iniquity has been purged. You can now be a prophet. But we don't know whether God will still send you. Now, that is where my heart was broken. Because a man was in God's presence and God was asking, who shall we send? You have the title of a national prophet. But God said, who shall we send and who shall go for us? They might have to begin to reapply. Lord, I am here. Send me. Have I been rejected? I am in your presence. You are looking for who to send. Because when God says, I'm looking for a man, it's not because it's not seeing people. It's credentials. It's qualification he's asking for. There are credentials men must have in order to be part of God's agenda. And like I said, if God's agenda is not fulfilled, a generation can be wiped off. And it doesn't mean anything in the realm of God. Because the value of a generation is the degree to which they align to God's agenda. But for you to be the man God uses, you must have a qualification. Bible scholars tell us between Malachi and Matthew, or John the Baptist who prophesied that was written in Matthew, it was 400 years of darkness. God was quiet because he didn't find a man. And so if you go to heaven in God's dealing with man, that region is, is a vacuum. It doesn't matter. If world's population at that time was 500,000, it means nothing. God was quiet because there was no man who could host his agenda and fulfill it. So our number is not what gives us relevance. Our alignment is what gives us relevance. Because if we can't advance God's agenda, our number is useless. When you study the Bible, you are going to discover God operated with men, fulfilling different agenda with different generations. And you will now notice something, that every major block in scripture is actually a revelation of the workings of men with God, who fulfill God's agenda for that generation. That is what informs the history of God with man. That men are able to tap into his frequency and work with him and fulfill an agenda. It is the, uh, the rise of such men that you call the revival. It is the rise of such men that you call the move of God. It is the rise of men who are able to take that responsibility that God now decides to pour himself upon. That you sit and read and call revival. If certain men are withdrawn from the Bible, Many books of the Bible will vanish. Because what you call the book of the Bible is actually the story of their intimacy with God. And that story of their intimacy with God became a revelation about the character of God that will be manifested through Christ. 
So the weight of their lives was the dimension of Christ they represented that was reflected through their intimacy with God. And so these men were reflective of the fact that God has an agenda that will culminate in Christ and will be fulfilled with those who will receive Christ. Imagine if you remove Abraham, there will be no Genesis. So what you are reading and calling the book of Genesis is a testimony of the work of Abraham with God. If Abraham did not contact God, that whole book will not exist. Because Moses wrote about the things that happened until God began to work with a man tangibly. And from Genesis 12 to the end was about Abraham and his descendants. The things Abraham did with God and the things his descendants did with God because of what he taught them. And so every manifestation of God on the face of earth, as far as Genesis was concerned, was a testimony of the quality of the life of Abraham. And so if you remove Abraham, remove Noah, there is no Genesis. Moses would have told you the story of creation and it would have finished. And so the reason you have those stories was because these men walked with God. And so all the years in Genesis is actually the revelation of the life of Abraham. You will make the mistake of counting years. God was not counting years. God was counting a man. You can say, this one lived for so, 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 so years. This one lived for so, so, so years. You can even enter geographical stories about Egypt, about this, about that. All of that means nothing. It's men God was counting. When Abraham left, Isaac came. When Isaac left, Jacob came. That's how it's men God counted. It is the operation of the life of men that results in years and geographical location. If men are removed, years are useless. So God does not count years, he counts men. That's why the Bible said, until the time of John, it doesn't matter how many years, it doesn't matter how many people exist, it was John that opened that chapter. It was because John bore witness that the possibilities that happened in that dispensation took place. Is it possible that Gombe is standing now because of a man? You are now thinking Gombe is a, is a state. I came to this state in 1999 and I've been around since 2018. And then they go and check God's book. And God does not have 1999 to 2018. By the time you check from 1999 to 2000, is a man God saw there, the first man who brought light. You move from 2000 to 2020, and you see the next man who brought righteousness. And so what God is counting are men. And so if you will have a place, it's because you appear in the chapter of those men. <laughs> you know that Abimelech won't exist in the story of God, except as Abraham went to him. So it is Abraham's life that gave credibility to the existence of Abimelech. And Abraham does he exist. Oh, Jesus. Ah. Some people carry certificates like this. I have three masters. I have PhD. And they are one. There's nothing wrong with having certificates. I school too. But here it is. 
if you are not factored into God's agenda, you and your certificate is a waste. In fact, your certificate will give you admission into a platform to fulfill agenda. If you have no agenda with God, it's a waste. I know the governor. I know the governor. And in the realm of God, they are not counting them. They are counting agenda. And the whole dispensation can pass. And both the governor and everybody he knows are in darkness. So God won't write it. And so when God invites us, it's an honor. It's an honor. I look for a man. It's a deep statement. Tonight, my emphasis is to show you the qualification God looks for in a man. Because when he's looking for a man, he's not looking for skin color. He's not looking for gender. He's not looking for race. He's looking for certain qualifications that will allow his spirit to have liberty of expression. Please sit down. Yeah, 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 yeah. that attains certain qualification. And that's why the title of the conference is What Manner of Men? What manner of men do God find? Is it black men? Is it white men? Is it eloquent men? Is it tall men? Is it female men? <laughs> because when they say let us make man, the Bible says male and female, he made them. So there are men that are female, and there are men that are male. Man is a species. So what species does God find? To answer this question, there are two dimensions that we must study. And we'll study the first one tonight. The first one is a moral dimension, and the second one is a supernatural dimension. The manner of men that we ought to be if we walk with God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. Hear what the Bible said. We have scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Let me read from my Bible. It said, But the day of the Lord come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And he said, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He said, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Does it look like what we saw in Ezekiel 22 verse 30? When the day of the Lord comes, if God is no longer finding a man or walking with a man, the elements of the world will melt. So he's talking about the ultimate day here. When the rapture takes place and the man God finds, the race God finds is taking off. He says the earth will melt. All the diamond will melt. All the gold will melt. People who make their lives value and build their relevance on things, he says everything will melt. 
It said, because such a day is coming, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. It said, what manner of persons ought here to be in all holy conversation and godliness? It said, looking for the hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein heaven, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. It said, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, is responding to the question in verse 11. In verse 11, he said, what manner of man ought you to be? In verse 14, he said, this is who you should be. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, he said, be diligent that you may not be found in, you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And so the first category of men God is looking for, either to use to fulfill his agenda or to partner with on earth to fulfill his purpose, are men that attain the moral standards of God. That's why he said you must be found in him in peace and blameless and without spot. And so if you are found worthy of a moral standard, you either are purged or you are rejected. That's why when Isaiah came, God never spoke to him. God was still looking for a man when a prophet was available. Because it's not tied to God he's looking for. It's a man he's looking for. And when Isaiah appeared, the seraphims, understanding how God works, quickly touched him with the coal of fire to purge him. Because if you are not purged, you can't be used of God. So there is the first dimension of the man God seeks. It's a man that meets the moral standard of God. God has a moral standard. Make no mistakes about it. You can come the way you are, but you cannot be used the way you are. There are requirements and there are standards. If you don't meet those requirements, you can be around for a hundred years and God will never use you. In fact, God can use the person you taught in Sunday school. The person gave his heart to Christ. You taught him in Sunday school. You taught him foundation school. You even discipled him to a level. Later, God will pick that person. You will still be there. Your title in church will be tied to time. I've been around for 15 years. They don't count time there. That is the challenge many Christians are facing. And this is why the people God finds are usually very few. Because very few are willing to pay the price to attain the standard of divine morality. And God will never compromise on the standard. And I'm going to be looking at that in details tonight. Because this is why many are disqualified. They are crying with passion, with zeal and everything for God. They want to be used of God. But their lives filled with garbage. And they are hoping that God will overlook. God cannot overlook it. Because when God finds a man, that man becomes God's standard. That man becomes God's representative. And so when a man speaks on the behalf of God, even the world will hold you to morality. They are not angry and offended if somebody who doesn't bear the name of the Lord is stealing. They are not angry and offended. In fact, the world celebrates this. That's why they celebrate most of our politicians today. 
They have no, no ought against them. But you who stood up and said, you are a man of God. And when I say man of God, I'm not talking about a prophet or an apostle. A man of God is a man that comes from God to represent God. If you say you are a man representing God, the world is watching you. If you say you are a man of God, there's a way you must live. And that's the same thing the Bible is saying. It that there's a manner of life we ought to live. If we say we are the men that represent the move of God. And he said that life must be blameless and must be without spot. He said only then shall we have peace in God. Many have failed when it has to do with the standard of morality. And they think for the sake of brotherly love, we should overlook it. <laughs> God will not overlook it. And as I go into scriptures, you will see how rigid God is when it has to do with the man God uses. The second thing about this manner of men is that they are men of signs and wonders. Matthew 8 verse 27. These questions are not asked carelessly. If God has found a man, there are two things that are not negotiable. One is morality. And number two is signs and wonders. If your life is not a sign and a wonder, God has not found you. If God finds you, he will manifest himself strong in you. That's the scripture of God's servant read. He said, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro the earth, looking for the people that are weak, but looking unto him, that he may show himself strong. So when God finds a man, he shows himself strong in that man. That is why the question is asked, what manner of man is he? So when they ask what manner of man are you, it's because God has found you. And the proof that God has found you is that there are standards of morality in your life that is not seen in the world. And if God has found you, is that your life becomes a wonder that men look at you and they marvel. Jesus, in Matthew 8 to the 7, he said the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so when we say, what manner of men are these? We are talking about men that have passed the test of morality. When we say, what manner of men are these? We are talking about men that are a sign and a wonder to their world. Isaiah said, I and the children that the Lord has given to me, we are for signs and for wonders. He said, say unto the priests and those that sit with them, men greatly wonder that. In Mark 16, 17, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe the ones I have chosen. In my name shall they cast out devils. If they drink any deadly thing, he called it deadly, yet he says that by no means hurt them. So God knows these things kill, but he doesn't kill such people. He shall by no means hurt them. If they tread upon serpents and scorpions, they shall by no means hurt them. If they lay hands on the sick, the sick that needs radiation in order to kill cancerous cells. The sick that needs to drink herbs for seven days in order to be healed. He says, you touch them. If they lay hands on the sick, the sick shall recover. If somebody who has cancer that needs to travel to India to be operated just comes to you and you say you are healed and the cancer dies, people will say, what manner of man are you? Is it that your word is radiation? 
Because we know the only thing cancer responds to is radiation. Radiation is the only frequency that has sufficient power to destroy cancerous cells. How come your walls are able to kill cancer? They will say, what manner of man are you? And so you cannot be normal or natural and expect that question to be asked, what manner of man are you? And read through Genesis to Revelation. There's no man God found that was not a sign and a wonder. In Exodus 7 verse 1, they said to Moses, I have made you a god unto Pharaoh. A man grew to a realm where God caused him a god. So God was introducing another god to men. <laughs> you know what that means to me? I have made you a god unto Pharaoh. That means God is introducing a god to a man. So when Moses appears before Pharaoh, it is a meeting between a man and a god. That's what God said. So the guy became a sign and a wonder. So you'll be right when you say to Moses, what manner of man are you? It's a man found of God. But what proved him is signs and wonder. Did you not read about Jesus? The Bible said a man proven by many signs and wonders. And so the second dimension to the subject is a generation of signs and wonders. You will not leave this conference an ordinary person. Many think Christianity is a religious movement. We have certain people who have certain beliefs, certain rituals, and certain practices gathered together. That's not the one Jesus started. The one Jesus started is a species, a race of signs and wonders. Everywhere you go, signs follow you. That's the sign that you are of God. We'll look at that aspect tomorrow. But tonight, let's deal with the aspect of morality. Because you begin with one to get to the other. If you don't pass the test of morality, you cannot have God's approval to demonstrate signs and wonders. And so morality comes first. And I want to share with us certain moral standards that God will never compromise on for the men that he has found and for the men that will fulfill his agenda. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11. He said, But thou, O man of God, he said, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. O man of God. You know what he was talking to him about? It was about sensuality and loss for money. Using money to gratify flesh. He said, But thou, O man of God, because the scripture before is where he said the love of money is the root of all evil. He said, but thou, O man of God, he said, flee from these things. Flee. If you want to be a man of God, if you want to be the man that God has found and uses, he said, flee from these things. Don't wait for God to come and deliver you. Flee from it. It's that you are fleeing that God delivers you. If you lie down in iniquity, God can't help you. Stand up and flee before you meet the help of God. We have a generation of people who are saying, God is using us. Revival is coming. And they are deeply rooted in iniquity. And because they have mastered how to hide it from the eyes of men, they think they are doing well. The Bible said you have come to Mount Zion. There is an innumerable company of angels watching you. You are in the host, in the midst of the host of the spirit of judgment made perfect. You are not doing anything in hiding. Everything you are doing is in public glare where it matters. 
The only place you are able to hide it from is where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your neighbor sees you. Because your neighbor is not the one marking your destiny. But where it matters, everybody is seeing you. God is seeing you. Angels are seeing you. Spirits of judgment made perfect are seeing you. Demons are also seeing you. So when you come out and wear a nice suit and speak good English and act as if you are a spiritual man, the demons are looking at you and they are laughing. They say, who is this actor? What, what drama is he acting this time? You who fornicated yesterday, you come to the altar. You say, we address all the spirits in Gombe. Which one? Do you know how many spirits control fornication and immorality in Gombe? You are already their slave. Is it because you are standing on an elevated platform that you suddenly think you can address your master? When you talk like that, then they will throw an arrow to your chest. You will now start having high blood pressure. Because you are violating spiritual laws. You don't command your master. He said, Oh man of God, flee from these things. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, it said, The standard of the law standeth sure. He said, Therefore, the Lord knoweth them that are his. The people God finds, he uses morality to identify them. He said, The foundation of the law standeth sure. Therefore, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And he said, let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He said, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. He said, but also of wood and of earth. And he said, some to honor and some to dishonor. If you stop there, you will assume if you are made of gold, you are of honor. And if you are made of wood, you are of dishonor. It doesn't, that's why I told you it's not a function of race. You can be white or black. You can be male or female. It doesn't matter. What confess honor is the degree of purity that you sustain. He said, if a man therefore purge himself from these things, he said, it shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. Sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. So it is moral standard that defines the men God uses. And so when you find that God can come into a land and find no man, it shows you the level of decadence of that territory. It shows you the power of immortality and the degree to which it has enslaved men. This is why God can enter a whole city with many gifted people, yet he finds no one to use. With many titled people, some call themselves apostles, some call themselves prophets, yet God finds no man. And then you find the whole land destroyed, and you say, God, where are you? His standards have not been kept. God is silent for 400 years. You say, God, why? His standards have not been kept. The patterns of the Lord are sure. I must find a man in order to address the city. I must find a man in order to reach a territory. I must find a man in order for me to help and to deliver a people. And so when demons are wrestling with you, be careful. You may be the last man standing. Because on this matter, many have fallen. People with titles, people with reputation in the eyes of men, people with gifts, people with skills, people with connections. Even people who have many major activities going on. You can imagine that Saul was the king for 40 years, but he was rejected. You see ministry with more than 30 branches, but God doesn't know them. 
It has become a recruitment center for immoral spirits. Because what flows from the head is a tributary that affects everybody. And so because General Abbasia is fornicating in Lagos, even the small branch that is in Gombe, there's fornication there. And then you are wondering, you mean God will overlook this massive church? Size is not a factor where he comes from. Where he dwells, size is not a factor. You will be sure that you, who is that little boy in the wilderness, tending over the sheep, you are the only man God has found. And God will defile everything to reach you. If he needs to anoint you three times, he will anoint you. If he needs to anoint you before your family, he will anoint you. If he needs to anoint you before the city, he will anoint you. But he will do everything to find you. And suddenly, a small boy behind the backside of the desert, who has no human connection, who has no reputation, can rise up and become God's spectacle for a generation. Because it takes certain standards for God to use a man. You know, because we are a fallen people, we major in emphasizing the things that don't matter. And so you come today, they are telling you about the man of God. And the man of God is about comportment. They teach you all the comportment. How to stand. How to hold microphone. How to relate with people. The man of God doesn't need to talk much. He doesn't need to be so available so that people do not take him for granted. Was Jesus not everywhere with people? Did they take him for granted? We even teach our followers the kind of words to use. We even prepare their hearts to become warriors that fight to defend us. So we weaponize our followers in order to keep us safe. Because you know you are a fornicator. You have taught honor until honor has become Jesus Christ. So that when people touch you, your followers can forfeit their salvation in fighting for you. Demonic intelligence. You find people who are hungry for God, who are pursuing God. Suddenly, they become warriors online, fighting to defend their man of God. Meanwhile, the Bible says, Woe unto you if all men speak good of you. I tell those who follow me, never defend me. The day the Holy Ghost stops defending me, and my ministry is over. Don't live your walk with God and make your life. You see people today. They sit down for hours. They are, de- they are preparing clips to, re- to answer their, th- their fathers or their leaders. The time they should pray and study Bible, they look for 30 messages and cut 10, 10 seconds in order to form a robust defense to show that their father in the Lord is right. Is that necessary? Imagine if Peter and Paul spent all their lives Raising disciples that will defend them. How are we going to hear about the gospel? The people who want to fight you, if you are innocent, it will turn for your good. That's how God works it. They can call you name. He says, blessed are you if men revile you for my name's sake. If men try to pull you down for the name's sake, it's a channel of blessing. Stay focused. It must turn out for your good. It is God that defends us, not men. And so we shouldn't raise a generation of people who defend us. If we know what we are doing is right, focus. If any of your followers tries to defend you, stop him. That's why many will lose their salvation. Getting into malice, getting into arrogance, getting into speaking words that are not holy in order to defend something that has no implication in eternity. You keep the standard of morality and watch God defend you. 
Watch God fight for you. Watch God exhort you. When men say you are over, God makes you seven times greater. When they think your ministry has come to an end, that's when you are about to explode. A point will come, the more they fight, the bigger you become. They will advise themselves at some point that these things they are doing, they are wasting their time. Keep the moral values. Keep the moral standard. And teach others to keep it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what makes you a man of God. He said the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. It will never shake. He said it's on this basis that God knows them that are His. He said if you put yourself, then you qualify. The word meet is the word qualify and sanctify and suitable for the master's use. And so many are not qualified, many are not suitable for the master's use because they have not purged themselves. They have not kept the moral standard of God. If God will find you, use you, then morality can never be negotiated. It is a must. It never changes. If you like this, you pour a drum of oil on you. If you like, stand with the most powerful man of God in the world. Take all the pictures. Receive all the validations. It takes you nowhere. Because validation only works among men. Meanwhile, the people who control the game are spirits. Demons are not moved by who validated you. Angels are not moved by who validated you. The Holy Ghost is not moved by who validated you. These are the people who control the game. The only thing they see as validation is your morality. Is your garment still pure? If your garment is pure, then your rising is a must. Nothing on earth can stop it. What are the moral standards that God insists on and looks out for in his man? Number one is purity. And when I talk purity, I lay emphasis on sexual purity. You will be shocked, sir. But this is one weapon the devil is using massively in the last days. He has used it for centuries and for aeons. And the potency of this weapon is overwhelming. Every generation, you find the rise and fall of the nobles is in the area of purity. They have all the giftings, they have the boldness. They have the doggedness, they have the faith, but they cannot keep the purity. And you are wondering, why is this weapon so potent? It is the serpentine nature that the devil injects into his agents. And so if a man will be used of God and remain relevant with God, one area of battle he must win is the area of purity. And people don't graduate from it. It is a kind of warfare called the battle of attrition. The way the devil fights it is not just to fall you, it's to weary you until you give up. Because it's not just about falling. You can fall and rise seven times. So long as you still believe you can be pure, the devil knows he has not won the battle. So it's not that you fornicated or you didn't fornicate. The idea is actually not to fornicate. But most importantly is to come to the point where you tell yourself, I can live holy, I can live pure in a perverse generation. Because what the devil wants to achieve, and the reason why you fall every three months, is to get you to the point where you give up. And say, Omar, this thing is not possible. 
And then you even start suspecting that there is nobody who is truly pure. That everybody is just acting. The devil brings you to that defeatist mentality where you think and assume that it's impossible to live pure. And because of that, you now create a new doctrine. God accepts you as you are. God will accept you as you are, but God will not work with you as you are. You see new doctrines that righteousness is in nature, it's not an act. Because they have fought this battle, they feel it's impossible. And so they weaponize it and make it a doctrine. And that doctrine enslaves many. There are many churches today where immorality is normal. In fact, there is a system of managing it. If you come, you can point at many who are living in it. Pastors managing it. In fact, there are many quarters today where cohabiting is natural. They feel it's a normal thing. It's a normal thing to just, a boy can just move into the house with a lady, or a lady moving with a boy, and they are living like husbands and wives, and it means nothing to them. It's normal. When you are going to minister, nobody is holy. All you need to do is just to ask God for mercy, because all of us, we are work in progress. And so they legitimize iniquity, and they think because they have a good voice, God is with what they are doing. You can sing emotional songs. People will cry and fall down. It doesn't mean God is moving. As demonic as Michael Jackson was, people see him and fall. When Michael Jackson begins to sing, people literally paralyze. They are shaking. They are shaking as if a strong anointing is there. Because the demons are actually riding on his voice. They carry people in droves from Michael Jackson's meetings. Pack them to the hospital to deliver them from shock. Some have seen him. And so forget this thing of falling down. People may fall down, God is not there. People may act emotional, God is not there. And let me even tell you, some of the songs we sing in themselves are anointed. It's not you who is singing that is anointed. So that a man labored in God and caught an anointed song, and you are singing that song, and the song is moving people, does not mean there's anything on your life. Many hymns that are more than a thousand years old, sing them today, people will still be weeping. Because the hymn itself is anointed. Anybody who sings it, the anointing will move. Not because the singer is anointed, but because the song is anointed. So let's stop deceiving ourselves in church. If God truly finds a man, it will show. You will see the impact in government. You will see the impact in the territory. When you speak, there will be authority. And so there is a command in the spirit. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it said, Come out from among them. It said, Touch not the unclean things. It said, They that bear the vessels of God, it said, They must be holy. And it said, When you do this, it said, I will receive you. So I will not receive you until you come out from among them. I will not receive you until you touch not the unclean thing. So long as you continue in iniquity, you will not have what it takes to advance God's agenda. God's agenda will be dormant in a generation until holy men begin to rise again. Peter said, knowing this first, he said, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. The standard has always been constant across generations. And what is that standard? He said, holy men of God speak as they were carried by the Spirit of God. And so if God will not put his hand on you, 
there's nothing you can do. That is the first thing you must understand in the school of the Spirit. That God validates men who are holy. It's holy men of God that are carried. It's not every man that is carried. It's holy men of God that are carried. What is the quality of your morality? What is your value for morality? Today we have thrown morality to the gutters. Look at scriptures and find out men who captain the move of God. The Bible spoke concerning Joseph in Genesis 39 verse 9. A woman of a big man in the city threw herself at him. Those days when you are a man of means in society, you marry the best of women. Just the same way you, you ride the best of horses. And this woman threw herself to Joseph, do what you want with me. I am all yours. And Joseph asked himself a question. How can I do this evil and sin against God? How can I commit this kind of evil? Nobody was seen, but he knew God was seen. I can't do this. The woman threatened him, I will not do it. In our generation today, we'll be the one going to pray, Lord, this temptation in this house. Hey, help me, oh, help me. What kind of temptation is this? Temptate what? The things that should attract anger from our spirit is what we are calling temptation. How can a married woman be affectionate towards you? Because she's beautiful. In our generation, we call it a temptation. He triggered anger in the heart of Joseph. And Joseph said, I will never do it. When the woman eventually accused him, the guy went into prison for 14 years. And there was no record that Joseph regretted of walking in purity. It was never documented that Joseph was angry with God or Joseph regretted for what he did. And suddenly the Bible will say, until the time that his word came. He said, the word of the Lord tried it. The move of God in Egypt that saved the whole world was powered by a young boy that understood the place of sexual purity. If Joseph had compromised with Potiphar's wife, probably he would have become the head of the house boys. He would have been promoted and be given a citizenship right. He would have become a senior house boy forever. And there wouldn't have been a move of God in Egypt. Many moves of God have been aborted because of five minutes of pleasure in immorality. You thought nobody saw you, but heaven was waiting on you. That time when you were battling whether to do it or not, the fate of God was resting on you. The fate of a generation was resting on you. Imagine what would have happened to the world. The whole world would have died of hunger because that move of God was resting on one man. One man. There were not two. Only Joseph knew what to do. Only Joseph. So beyond having authority over senators, beyond having lordship over the house of Pharaoh, he was the lifeline of the move of God for that dispensation. If Moses had fornicated with Potiphar's wife, even his father would have died of hunger. The plan of God for a generation, except God intervened, the world would have been wiped off. People came from all over the world to look for food in Egypt. When Moses was battling to be sexually pure, that's what God was looking at. So heaven was praying for Joseph because they knew if he fell, the world would have died. Men would have gone into hunger and the earth would have been wiped off. Do you know what is at stake? That five minutes that you compromise. Do you know what is that? Why do you think demons will, every demon will live here to make sure you fornicate for just five minutes? Because they are seeing what you are not seeing. 
When Joseph was rejecting Potiphar's wife, the devil was seeing the savior of the world. But Joseph, even Joseph did not see it. May God not disqualify you. Imagine if Joseph fornicated and God said, because you have done this, I will raise another deliverer. What would have been the value of Joseph's life? He would have been a slave forever. But when Joseph made that decision, he saved the world. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, we saw another testimony of a man who carried the move of God in a corrupt nation like Babylon. They brought things that are baptized. And the Bible said Daniel and his friends proposed in their hearts that they will not defy themselves with the portion of the king's feet. Because these things are offered to idols. If it's what you need in order to grow fat, allow us to be lean. And by the grace of God, we will not grow lean. But we will not defile ourselves. God was looking at the faith of Israel. God was looking at the salvation of Israel from Babylon. It was never about food. This is the error of of Adam. He thought it was about an apple. The devil knows this transaction is not about an apple. It's about the destiny of the human race. It's about the move of God over a dispensation. You are bargaining apple. A spirit is bargaining territories. You are bargaining apple. A spirit is bargaining the destiny of millions. Who told you it's an apple? You think the devil will come to you to strike a bargain with you about an apple? Do you know how busy the devil is? The Bible says the devil is running to and through the earth. A, a being that busy, you think he will come away from his busy schedule and is arguing with you for one month just to sleep with that lady because of the pleasure. There's something he's seeing that you are not seeing. He has checked in the heaven and he has discovered that you are one of God's seven soldiers for the next move of God. And if he brings you down, the move of God is at stake. You are thinking it's about pleasure. The devil is seeing the move of God that you are not seeing. May God open our eyes to see what we represent in the move of God. Some of you who are sitting here now, you don't even have food to eat. But in the next five years, you are the one to supply food to Christians in Gumbi. And you didn't know it's part of your agenda. Because when the move of God starts, there will be a need for somebody to man the gate of supply. And you are the one heaven has chosen. And the devil has seen that if you are not there, many will die of salvation. And he has come several years before and projected an agent before you. The boy comes with a well-capped beard. He has spent two years in the dream. Built his chest and is coming to you in the evening with singlet and well-capped beard. And you are going to your room. You carry his picture. You are smiling. He sends you a message. You are beautiful. If you want to know, go to the mirror. The mirror too will tell you the same thing. You look at one text message, you read it 20 times, you smile, you smile, you smile. You are bargaining something that is about to happen in seven years. If you have understanding, you will delete that message, block that person's number, and invite him to church to meet your pastor. If you have not yet been converted, I have no interaction with you. For what has light got to do with darkness? What has light got to do with darkness? I have no business with you, except as you are converted. Because I know my duty is not just because I love to be pure, it's because the move of God depends on it. The move of God depends on it. That's why we keep myself. 
I don't know what God wants to do, but I perceive that there's something God wants to do with me. I perceive there's something God wants to do on earth. And I perceive that I am strongly part of what God wants to do. I don't know the part I'm supposed to play yet. But somewhere in my spirit, I sense that God is interested in me. Somewhere in my spirit, I sense that the visions are not for formality. Somewhere in my spirit, I sense that the visitation is not for formality. When God delivered me from that accident, it's not just because he wants to save me. There's an agenda. Do you think God just delivered you from that accident because he wants to keep you alive? Yes, he loves you. He doesn't want you in danger. But beyond saving you, there's an agenda. There's an agenda. That's why Joseph cannot die in the pit. That's why Joseph cannot die in the prison. There's an agenda. Ordination has a demand. And because of the demands of ordination, I will not compromise and I will not end until something happens. Why do you think God looks for virgins? There's an agenda. There's an agenda that only God should take the credit for. I know it is pleasurable to have sex, but I will keep myself because there's an agenda. A spirit is interested in me. And what this spirit wants to do with me, the lifespan is forever and ever. And so I will not destroy forever and ever because of five minutes pleasure. I perceive that God wants to use me. Where? When? How? I don't know, but I perceive. I perceive. These dreams I see is not for nothing. This vision I see is not for nothing. These deliverances I enjoy is not for nothing. I know I should have died. God kept me for something. is your purity. And many times, the devil will tamper with it. If you know about God's agenda, if you know about God's program, you will not joke with it. Many people think God's agenda is just to gather and be excited. They think it's about youthful exuberance. You find people praying, praying. Their whole cloth is wet. The moment they finish that prayer, before they reach home, they enter a dirty conversation with somebody of the opposite sex. You think God is moved by all this youthful exuberance. When spirits come to check you, they will, they will extray you. There is a standard. It is him that punches himself that is meet and qualified for the master's use. And so thank God for that prayer energy. Thank God for those scriptures you remember and quote. But is your garment pure? If your garment is not pure, he will never use you. Ask those he has used, they will tell you. Sit down. The second thing the devil will tamper with is your love for God. Because when a man's morality is intact, his affection is towards God. 
When a man's morality is affected, his affection turns away from God. There are seven things that define Babylon. Lust is one of them. When you find that people's affection has turned from God, know that they have come under a spiritual city, the influence of a spiritual city called Babylon. A man that God will find delight in to use is a man whose affection is channeled towards God. In John 21 verse 15, after Jesus resurrected, he came back to the disciples because Peter had gone back to creativity. He went to fish. And he called him. He didn't ask Peter if he had enough wisdom. He didn't ask Peter if he had enough prayer power. He asked Peter, lovest thou me more than this? The question will always be a question of your affection and love for God. You will know it like you know your name. If the strength and the energy of God in you begins to wane, your affection towards God begins to die. And so when you find a man that God will desperately pursue after, is a man that himself is desperately after God. Lovest thou me more than this? In fact, 1 Corinthians 16, 22 said, If a man love not the Lord Christ, he said he is anathema maranatha. That means he has become an accursed product waiting for the Lord's coming. And so the men that God uses to advance his agenda are the men whose affection is still pure. And the sign that their affection is pure is that their affection is unto the Lord. When a man's affection drifts away from God, there are five dimensions of lust that you will find in that man. The first is he will start loving knowledge and not life. That is the first sign of Babylon. The first sign of Babylon is pursued for knowledge and not life. You know why? Because he wants to seek false relevance. It doesn't matter if God approves of him, but he just wants to be relevant among men. And what will make him relevant is knowledge. See, what God calls knowledge is actually not facts and information. It's life. He said, this is life eternal. John 17, 3, that you may know him, the only true God. So God's definition of knowledge is actually life. And so any life, any knowledge that is only mental will puff up. And that pride becomes the reason why God will reject you. But when knowledge becomes about life, knows that affection is about God. There are many who listen to message because they want to hear something to preach. There are many who read the Bible because they want a new verse to preach. But when you find a man who loves God, he opens the scripture to find God. And so his pursuit is not knowledge. His pursuit is life. If you discover that your pursuit now is about knowing so many things and so much, and not necessarily about growing in intimacy with God, know that your affection has been compromised. Because God is not giving knowledge apart from himself. God is actually pouring forth himself. It is the issuing of God into you that becomes the light in your life. He said the light is the light of men. So knowledge is supposed to steal her out of life. And so any man who pursues life will have knowledge. But it's possible to pursue knowledge and be void of life. This is why people who don't have affection for God, they are just curious about everything. They are everywhere seeking relevance and not in God's presence. When a man is pursuing life, 
know that his affection is secure. The second thing that happens to you if your love for God is compromised is you begin to love money. And all of these things are born out of the insufficiencies and the vacuums of the soul. Because you know that what completes you is no longer there. So you are looking for something else to complete you. And so you know that money has purchasing power. And so you want to have a lot of money in order to buy a lot of things to satisfy the vacuum of your soul. And so the Bible said in First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, it said the love of money is the root of all evil. And men whose affection have been compromised, they spend all their life pursuing money. They can walk three shifts in a day in order to have money. But they cannot stay in God's presence for 30 minutes. And what I'm saying here may not make sense to you. Go to Europe. You'll be shocked. Many people left this country that they are going to start church or they are going to work in church. After six months, they didn't see them in church again. And there are many pastors who started church but they discovered it's on Sunday morning that sales are higher. So they closed church down and started selling food stuff. So you come to England, you see Nigerian food products. Most of them were pastors. They went to England as missionaries, but now they sell Okoroko on Sunday morning. Because every Nigerian is driving three hours to buy one Okoroko to add to his soup. So the guy substitute Jesus Christ for Okoroko. And you now see the agenda of God dying, dying, dying because men choose money over God. The third thing that happens to your affection, if it is compromised, is that you become a lover of pleasure. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 4, when it was giving us the signs of the end time, it said men shall be lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. They can sit in the football studio from morning to evening. There's nothing wrong in watching football. There's nothing wrong in supporting a club. Once in a while you watch it, you, it helps you to relax. Nothing wrong. But if you will spend all your life, you watch football, you finish watching, you argue football, and you talk football as if football has become the gospel, then something has gone wrong. Pleasure. You'll find them, they say there's the new theater in town. Every Wednesday they are there to watch a movie. They say they are doing bad beats somewhere. They are there with something they can share. Anything that is pleasure. If you like, put gate fee to be one million, they will pay. They say comedians are coming this week. They are there on VIP table. Next week, another comedian is coming. They are there. Next week, another one. If it is pleasure, they never get tired. So they can keep the routine of watching football every week for 10 years. They can keep the routine of going clubbing every Friday night for six years. But tell them we have VG every Wednesday. They will attend the first one. After that one, they say, oh, you know, it's you. Something has happened to their energy. Energy has been depleted. If it is God, they are weak and weary. But if it is something that tears their emotions, they will be there. If it finishes, they are angry. Why did this thing finish so soon? When it has to do with pleasure, it becomes so soon. But when it is God, why is it taking so long? Know that something is wrong with the affection. The affection has been compromised. And if the devil gets the gate of your love, he can make you a slave through lust. That's why God never finds many men. The second standard of morality is purity of affection. God must be your first love. 
all your energy must be channeled towards God. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, he said, You will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus reiterated it and added all your strength. Lovers of pleasure. Number five, number four, rather, when people's affections are compromised, they become lovers of self. First Timothy 3, verse 2, self. The guy can afford to be in the gym for four hours, five hours. He needs a big chest. He finishes from the gym in the evening in his bedroom, party press up. He will do press up, he will carry rope and skip. He will all kinds of shape. You know. There's nothing wrong with Jimmy. There's nothing even wrong in having a good look. Don't get me wrong. It is healthy. There are those who dream for health. There are those who dream to appear good. All of that is wonderful. But if Jimmy takes the time of prayer, and if you spend more time to dream than to read the word of God or pray, something is wrong. It means you are a lover of self. A lady can sit down every two, two weeks for seven hours to make million braids. That they call it million braids. Are you not afraid? She can sit down for three days and make her hair. Lose it in seven days. Make another one. She will never complain that she's tired sitting. So long as they are making her hair. And again, there's nothing wrong in looking beautiful by making your hair. But the question is, how many hours can you sit in God's presence? How many hours? If he has to improve your look, you can spend the whole week there. No problem. But if he has to improve your spirit, you become tired. The Bible said, bodily exercise profits. It's not against it, but it says it profits little. Because compared to God's operation, that is little. No matter what you derive from it, be it health, be it fitness, be it good look, it said all of that is little. It said for godliness. It profited much, both in this life and in the life that is to come. And so while you are building yourself in the physical, make sure you don't spend more resources, more time, and more energy to build your physical self than your spiritual self. Because if you spend more time, more energy, and more resources to build your physical self, it means you are a lover of self. A man who is a lover of God spends much, much more time to build his spirit because he knows that God's first point of contact is his spirit. In fact, the reason his body is necessary is because his body is the legal requirement for him to function in this realm. So he's taking care of his body so that his body can be used to serve God. When I pursue health, it's because I need to be healthy to go for evangelism. When I pursue health, it's because I need to be healthy to preach the gospel. If I'm not strong, I can't be talking here for two hours. The reason I'm able to talk for two hours it's because I'm strong. And so when you find me dreaming, it's good to look good. It's good to be healthy. But at the end of the day, all of that is converted to give glory back to God. Lovers of self are not lovers of God. They can spend time with their body, but they cannot spend time with God. That's why God can come to a whole nation and find no man. Because love has been compromised. You say, what manner of men are these? They are men that uphold moral standards. 
I'm showing you things that the devil uses to get us. Many things. You can't count how many millions were shot because they went clubbing. Lovers of self and pleasure. You can't find how many millions were wrecked because they developed their body more than their spirit. When you start developing your body more than your spirit, you become a victim of demons. Good to develop your body, but first priority to your spirit. Because when spirits come, it's your spirit that will rise up. And if your spirit is weak and your body is strong, you are a slave. So you have people with strong body, well furnished, well developed, well fed, but spirit is lanky and dying. And so demons ride on them. They become slaves and puppets of spirits. And so God can't find men. He keeps looking. He finds lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, lovers of self. He keeps finding people, but no one is affectionate towards him. No one is passionate towards him. Number five are those who love the world. He said, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. He said they that love the world, the love of God is not in them. First John 2, 15 to 16. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he said, You adulterers and adulteresses. He said, Know yet not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. He said, He that loveth the world is an enemy of God. And what is in the world? The lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He said, they that do these things, they will perish. He said, but him that loveth God, he said, he abideth forever. You want to be God's man, you must spend time to sanitize your emotion. This is why some of us who know that loving God means something to us, we don't see everything. We don't watch everything. We don't hear everything. Because man is spontaneous. What you feed yourself with is what you become. I know that I have many tendencies that if I walk on, can turn me to an alien to God's government. And so what I do is I withdraw. Is they come out from among them. Once in a while, I can watch football if I'm tired. But I'm not a fanatic. Because I know from fanatism, it can lead to insult. It can lead to animosity. It can lead to violence. And so, because I am not better than those who entered violence, I avoid fanatism. Because it will be pride for you to think you are better than the guy who became a fanatic and started making trouble because of football and became violent. There is a state he has allowed his soul to get to. That's why he's violent. Any one of us can be violent if we allow our soul to enter that state. And so, in order not to enter that state, I avoid fanatism. I know that my spirit cannot bear the weight of certain level of moral decadence. That's why I don't go clubbing. They say, if you go, you will relax. I don't need that kind of relaxation. If I want to relax, I sleep in my room. My nerves will calm down. Even WHO tells that sleep is a good form of relaxation. I don't have to sit on a bottle of beer to relax. Somebody say, there's nothing wrong in drinking alcohol. I don't know the state that will make me drunk. It can be just one glass. And because I know that drunkenness is a sin, and drunkenness can lead to foolishness, the best thing for me to do as a priest is to avoid it. 
Because priests don't take alcohol. If I need to be excited, if I need to be rejuvenated, there's another technology of drunkenness. They say, be not drunk with wine, where it is in excess. But the fear with the spirit, speaking to yourself in sound, in hymns, in spiritual stuff, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so instead of taking alcohol, I'd rather take drugs. Saturates my heart. Listen, listen. Many Christians are reckless. That's why they don't amount to anything in God. They say, come on, what do you mean? Uh Uh-uh. Is it just to go and attend a party that will now make me a sinner? No, it will make you a sinner, but it will plant something in your heart. The music you are hearing, after one week you will now discover that spirits travel on vibration. Because when you hear that music, you will leave that party, but the song will continue playing. You will wake up the next day, the song will be playing. And if the song plays for three days, after a while, the song will start downloading appetites. You heard an ordinary music, but suddenly you started desiring sex. You heard an ordinary music, suddenly you looked at a lady and you wanted to talk to her. You didn't know where the corruption came from. When music entered your soul, it came with a lot of potentials and possibilities. And so some of us know that we are not so strong, so we avoid it. Thank God for the parties, but I won't attend one. Those who enjoy it will keep going. But me, I have understood that man is weak. A spirit that empowers men. And so I don't want the wrong empowerment. And so many people are celebrating birthdays. They say, man of God, come. I say, sorry, I'm busy. But I can support you. I told them the story in church three weeks ago. My neighbor was doing engagement. This is somebody that furnished my office, furnished every, every, is an interior decorator. Everything I do, I just give instruction, he does it. Even the house I'm, I'm living in, he was the one who got it, furnished everything, I just came and entered. He wants to get married. That's a good part of his life. And it's good to support him. I made a mistake. I would have supported only with money. Instead, he was doing engagement that he pleased that you come after all. I'm the one who prays for him and things work in his life. I was carried away. I felt like a man of God. I said, let me stand here and give covering. <laughs> covering. And now followed him to the engagement. We came early because the engagement was 8. And the plan was for us to come 7.30 so that when the bride is coming in, you know, surprise, surprise. When we entered, the whole place was white. I think they called it snow something. The roof, they padded it with cutting wool. So when the light is blaring on it, it looks heavenly. I say, wow, this person must be somebody that the Holy Ghost ministers to. When it was 7.45, some music started coming from the background. Some strange music. I said, what kind of vibration am I listening to like this? I whispered to my wife because I go with my wife for security purpose. What's going on here? The moment it was 7.50, 7.55, I didn't know that other people too had an activity there. I think another lady was doing birthday. 14 ladies walked in. That was when I discovered Jezebel will never die. She will never die. It's a revelation that Jezebel will be killed. Some of them, they gown, they wore. 
This my suit is longer than it. They, they call it gown. But this suit is longer than it. Some of them, the whole cloth was like a tie. That they just tie around themselves. The whole chest. I turn, it looked like arrow. This kind of people exist. Even the ones that wore long stuff. The gown was torn to this point. If he stretches and legs, the whole lap comes out and they are shameless. I turned my chair and faced the one and told my wife, please, when this brother come, apologize on my behalf. While I was thinking of what to tell the, the relatives, my phone ran. I said, sorry, somebody need prayer. I went into the car and locked myself there. I didn't come out. You know what? Those pictures, in fact, when you go home after sorting, you will still go and meditate on scripture. Because they planted those pictures in your soul. The day that something happens and your soul is weak, the devil will now resurrect those pictures and make a frame in your soul. Maybe somebody who is close to you will die and then you are grieving. You are in serious grief. That time that you are low in energy, the devil will now begin to bring pictures. That's when you will remember the footsteps that the first lady walked into the hall with. And then you will drive out for fresh air. You will start looking for them. It's when you are in the hotel, you will now ask yourself, is this apostle that is here? The reason many fail is because they took for granted the need to guard their soul. Is they guard your heart with all diligence. Out of these are the issues of life. The men God uses, they master how to guard their affection. They master it. They master it and they guard it with jealousy. Evil movies, some of us don't watch again. Anytime that I feel like keeping tab with movies, I go and look for where they recap them. I click one, I hear a recap and close it and go. Because it's not a scene, but the soul is porous. And when things enter your soul, it may enter in one second, but it may take seven months to come out. Because when it enters your soul, your soul will grow into it. And it will be intertwined. The same way the HIV virus enters your white blood cell and mingles with the white blood cell and grows with it. That's how the soul is corrupt. And then you will discover the time in the place of prayer that you used to enjoy will become too long. You that used to pray for three hours and you are sweating and you are charging, suddenly 30 minutes becomes too long. You are wondering, why is it now difficult to pray? Other things have entered your soul. They are called weights. They are not a sin, but they are weights. And that's why the Bible says to turn aside every weight that besets you. The devil will attack your affection. If he attacks your affection, then you have no choice but to love the devil. And you will find that you become an agent of the devil. And so the second area of moral compromise is the area of affection. What do you love? It's the requirement of the men that God uses. He said, the man loves not the Lord Christ. It's not just somebody that God rejects. He said, it's an accursed product. Anatema maranata. What manner of men do God use for his agenda? They are men who are passionately in love for him. With him. Jesus said, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me. Maybe I will stop here tonight. Because the next thing I wanted to talk about is integrity. If you want God to use you, you don't have to be a good preacher. God is not looking for good preachers. 
is looking for them that do his will. And so in Acts 1 verse 1 and 2, it said concerning Jesus, of all that he both began to do and teach. We have people preaching every doctrine correctly, but their whole life is wrong. There is a lack of integrity. It is hard for God to find men. You know why? Men don't have conscience anymore. They say what they want to say to gain the impression and create the impression they want to create. It means nothing to them. Even when the Holy Ghost is shouting inside them that this thing you said is a lie, it means nothing to them. The conscience is seared with the hot iron. And many times what they do is they do a lot of grand grand proof from point to deceive you. The first thing you will tell yourself is that I don't have the right to say until I do. What I cannot do, I have no right to say. Because the men God works with, God will insist that integrity means something to them. In fact, the weight of your words is directly proportional to the weight of your consecration. If your life cannot mirror it, your words cannot produce it. That's why men can't find, God can't find men. Number four is compassion. And number five is brokenness. Go and study it. The Lord will give you understanding. God doesn't use hirelings. He uses men that have compassion for his people. Because God's agenda is men. The agenda of God is not in limbo. It's with men. And so before God entrusts you with authority to fulfill his agenda among men, he must be sure you are not out to use them. Jesus said in John chapter 10 from verse 11 to 12, he said, I'm the good shepherd. And he told us what it means to be a good shepherd. A good shepherd is not skillful with providing food for the sheep. He said, a good shepherd is one that can give his life for the sheep. He said, when the hireling is not so. He said, when the hireling sees danger coming, he will run away. Those are useless of God's people. If you want to be relevant in God's agenda, you must have love and compassion for God's people. At one point, the Bible said, Jesus looked at the people and he had compassion for them. Matthew 14, 14. He said, because they were scattered and they were weary. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Another point, he said, Jesus had compassion for the people. He said, why? Because they were sick. And he said, on the strength of his compassion, the power to heal the sick was released upon them. And Paul came to corroborate it in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He said, we were affectionately desirous of you. He said, therefore, we poured out to you the substance of our soul. You have no compassion for God's people. How will you say you have agenda amongst God's people? You must love the people as much as you love yourself. If you think ministry is an opportunity to cash out, if you think being God's man is an opportunity for self-establishment, self-aggrandizement, then you don't know what a calling is. Today, people are excited if you are wasting your life with them. You are a good man to the degree that you submit all to what they are doing. But if it begins to help you or profit you, you become a danger to what God is doing. And they use God to cover up for their wickedness and witchcraft practice compassion. I'm telling you these are moral things. The reason you can manipulate people, marginalize people, use people and oppress people is because there's no compassion. And so one of the gates through which moral values are destroyed is a state of compassionlessness. If you don't have compassion anymore, you are capable of anything in the negative. And so when God wants to keep his servant morally in check, he always services his compassion. 
How do, what do you feel towards the people? Are you, are you passionate for the work of God because you want them to realize their destiny? That's what God wills. And then brokenness, which is the mother of it all. He said, God resists the proud, but he giveth more grace to the humble. The day you feel you are too important, that's the day you are disqualified. The day you think God cannot do without you. The day you think you are the best, that's the day you are finished. The way God will prove to you is that God will pick the person that doesn't look like it at all. And use that person to do ten times what you have done in a shorter time. To prove to you that the reason he kept you was mercy. Not because you were better. And so you want to be that man that God has found. That man that God will use. These moral standards, God will never compromise on them. From purity, to love for God, to compassion for God's people, to integrity, and to humility and brokenness. If you don't have these value systems, forget about God using you. And it doesn't matter. God can decide to skip a generation until he finds the man in whom he can find this quality. Can we bow our heads and pray? And ask God to help us this night. We cry holy, holy, holy unto Yeshua, Yahweh is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. like this. They think the biggest thing God wants to do is to anoint them. <laughs> Saul was anointed and was rejected for 40 years. He was even on the throne, but God was done with him. It doesn't cost God anything to anoint you. When God comes to you, he's looking at longevity. Can you carry what he has to offer? And so conferences like this, it's not just fire. Hey, say, Lord, I receive. No. Those are actually the last things God do. When God has established your foundation, 
then he can pour himself upon you because he knows you can hold the weight. Some people who are in this conference, who are coming here, seeking impartation, they fornicated last week. They cried for two days. When that biological process is accomplished, they are now feeling emotionally right and good. They feel it's over. Meanwhile, in the spirit, they are called children and the heir, so long as he's a child, is a servant. And so if you like, pour a drum of oil on his head. God can't risk it because the first visibility God gives him, he will multiply his sexual escapade. Because when he was not visible, at least he will labor for two months before he is able to convince one lady and act for the lady to submit to him. Now that 10,000 people follow him, there are at least 100 ladies that are willing to sleep with him. Do you know the danger of being exposed that God gives you visibility? As we are now, if I'm going to London tomorrow and I say, if you want to work with me personally, call this number. More than 50 ladies will approach to work with me. Ask those who manage. I don't manage my social media handles. From Facebook to Instagram to the rest. You see somebody, people come with strange things. And so when they receive it, they tell me who to pray for. And I pray for the people through the administrative line. Anywhere in the world, you say, come. They enter the next flight and start coming. They are willing to do anything. They believe you so much. And in fact, in certain parts of the world, they feel it's a blessing to sleep with a man of God. And so when they see you, they are saying, hey, what has God put on this man? Touch me. Touch they, they are confused when they are standing before the anointed. And so you who, any lady you see, your body is shaking. You are saying, God, will anoint you for the nations. Which nations? So that every nation you go, you deposit a child. By the time you do ministry for 15 years, you have children in 30 nations. When God wants to now take the glory, will now discover your 14 years of labor. It was the devil you were harvesting to. Because when your real life comes out, it becomes a shame and reproach. People are coming with children from different parts of the world. When you came to Amsterdam, Amsterdam four years ago, you met me in the hotel. I was the one serving you food and you fell upon me. This is the child that came out of that union. They sent the lady to give you food, but at the end of the day, she gave you two types of food. That's the man who is saying, God, anoint me. Or the one that is full of lust. You are looking for money. Money that God wants to use to win 10 million souls. He decided to split it among seven evangelists. Hoping that each evangelist will win 1.6 million souls. When your own share came to you, the first dream you have is to buy a Rolls Royce Phantom. When you are driving that car, they will know that God is good. And that Rolls Royce Phantom is equivalent to 600,000 souls. Because it's supposed to power 30 crusades. But 30 crusades became the car that you drive. And you think God will risk giving you that level of influence to generate that kind of financial traffic. It's not because he hates you, but he has an agenda. And so before you ask for anointing, for influence, for fame, for power, for visibility, what is the quality of your foundation? You need to check the moral strength, the tensile strength 
of your foundation. I was telling my workers last week what we spend in a week. All of their jaw dropped. And I don't even have a savings yet because of the level where the ministry is. Tonight, everyone who came to this conference hoping that God will use him. If you have explained through the things I mentioned here and you can't pass, you need to ask God to help you this night. If not, the power service tomorrow may not profit you. Because for some people, it's a risk for God to empower them. If God empowers them, they will destroy 30 ministries because of their ego. Because you disrespected them, they will say something about you that the body of Christ will never accept you again. Because you did something to them that they didn't like. In fact, they can boast and say you, you will never have a future in the body of Christ. They don't care what God wants to do with you. They don't care souls that are supposed to be won through you. They don't care those you are supposed to disciple. But because of their ego. If God doesn't lift you supernaturally, they will make sure if it's in this body of Christ, you will not amount to anything. And because they are the ones who have the credibility and the influence, when they talk, they are the ones people will believe. And they will wreck the move of God because of ego. You know what God considers before he exhausts me? You must pass the test of morality. From purity to love for God to compassion for God's people to brokenness and humility and to integrity. It's not everything that is anointing. Anointing comes to rest on the people that have passed the test of process. Tonight, in the next two minutes, I want to pray for someone who is telling God, help me. I thought what I needed was fresh oil. But now I know that my foundation needs urgent attention. Urgent attention. If I want the power of God to begin to move now, it won't take me one minute. And I say this in all humility, it won't take me one minute for this atmosphere to change. And for people to start screaming everywhere for healings to begin to take place. In all humility, I'm not, I tell you the truth. It won't take one minute. I know what to do. For God to shift this atmosphere to another level. But I have come to learn over time that there are things that matter. You want God to help you? I want you to rise up. of you who are standing up now, hear this. You don't even know God wants to use you yet. But him that sees the future is already aware that in the next six months an anointing will come on your life that will make you the next move of God in Gombe. You will be shocked that most of the ministers that are in Gombe were preparing the ground for you. Some of you are born again. So it's not necessarily a call to be born again. It's actually a call for submission. Calling Jesus the Lord of your life. The number is much, so I can't tell you to come out. But wherever it is you are standing, God sees your heart. You want to submit to him. Some of us, the attachment is much. The attachment is strong. Ah, it's strong. 
I remember when as simple as watching football is, it would have claimed my calling. We watch football Saturday and Sunday. And we argue about the league and analyze the league from Monday to another Saturday. Nothing wrong with it. But ordination was at stake. Because the love for God was compromised. I want to call God's servant in all humility is the father of this house to just come and speak a word that help will find you. Help. Do you know why we speak the standard of God with boldness? It's not because we claim we attained it. God is still raising us. But it's because we know that it's only the help of God that can take you there. And so if you will rely on the help of God, you can get there. That's why we say it the way we say it. It's not self-righteousness. The level we have attained is because God has helped us. Paul said, I continue to this day because God helped me. That same help can reach somebody if he is sincere. If he is sincere. Some of you is as simple as movies. Movies. The moment you come back from work, you watch movies until you sleep. You wake up the next day, you watch movies, you go to work. Any day you are not going to work, you watch movies. You are on Netflix, you finish Netflix, you enter YouTube, you are searching for movies, you are searching for different programs, and your spirit man is dying. He's dying. A point comes when you can't even pray for five minutes. The moment you need that, you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, you doze off. The spirit is weak. Let's receive God's servant. If you were blessed by this message you just listened to, and you wish to make Jesus your Lord and personal Savior, kindly repeat the prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ and that he died for my sins and was raised from the dead for my justification. I therefore confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I receive eternal life into my spirit. I am born again. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just said this prayer, please send us an email at info at encounterjesusministry.org or info.ejmi.ng at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.encounterjesusministry.org.